Recording in progress. Welcome back to the Noel Kassler Podcast, episode 85, I think, 84, here with my trusty 47 Martin guitar, 0017. You guys know why I'm pulling that out. I was at the Martin factory the other day on my little five-state tour of the Mid-Atlantic region, ahead of the midterms, and I uh, got to fulfill a lifelong dream of going to check out the Martin guitars, finest guitars on the planet. And there's a lot of good guitars on this beautiful ball we call home. But Martin's kind of set the standard for acoustic guitars, 1833. And it's a Pennsylvania company, Nazareth, PA. Good, hard-working American craftsmanship built these fine instruments that, you know, have taken on a mythic sort of uh, aura. If, if you know anything about collecting guitars, pre-war Martin guitars were made out of Brazilian rosewood, something you can't get anymore for good reason, because <laughs> it comes out of the rainforest and we need all those uh, trees, what little we have left. But, you know, back before the world was really conscientious of that thing, that was the finest wood in the world. And uh, it sounded like no other wood. It still does. And that's what they were making these fine instruments out of back in the day. And they generally had pretty uh, mild aesthetics. You know, they sort of fit in with the image of America, kind of hard-working, no BS, rock-solid, built to last a lifetime, you know. And uh, you paid a little more for it, but it was quality. You know, and then during World War II, it was women that manned that factory and built those guitars, including mine, which was 47, right? So the war ends like 46 or something. Odds are, you know, the body of the guitar, the neck had already been shaped before they stamped a serial number into it. And uh, that's important because it tells a story about the American worker, you know, and how other people filled in, right? In what was traditionally sort of a patriarchal society of men, and the men went to fight the wars, and we made movies about that for good reason, but we didn't talk about the heroism at home, you know? Think of what those women were going through. Right? They were supporting their sons, their husbands, their brothers that were serving overseas seas by rationing at home, by taking care of the kids, you know, by, by managing like the domestic sort of economics of coming out of a you know post depression era. And they were going off to work, you know. They were working in factories, right? They were working in shipyards. They left their homes in the Midwest to go, you know, build warships. People who'd never seen the ocean, (laughs) you know, these women are working round the clock to get it done. And I think that's a great story of sort of the unheralded heroes in America. And that's why I sort of focus on that a lot if you ever come to my live shows. So Martin Guitars sort of sell a, you know, tell, not sell, (laughs) tell a story. If you get a Martin, try not to sell it. But, uh... It tells that story, and that's an important story to tell right now, right? Because we're obviously five days away from the election, the midterm election, that literally is going to determine the future of this country. Like, this is not hyperbole. Yes, we'll survive to some extent, but will our democracy survive in the same way we're accustomed to? You know, will the so-called entitlements survive, right? The Social Security, right? The health care, the Medicare, that was, you know, sort of the birthright of the American that entered the workforce when they got issued their social security number, you know, and spent their lives working hard, knowing that the, you know, society they contributed to wouldn't turn their backs on them, you know, when they reached retirement age, you know, which is a humanitarian sin, right? That was what came out of the New Deal and Roosevelt, you know, that was his humanitarian reaction to seeing people you know, having to get everything they own packed up in a car and head west, you know, in search of a better life and stuff. Because where they were living, it dried up and turned to dust. It was heartbreaking. You know, it's heartbreaking to not take care of the most vulnerable 
and your society, and it's how you judge a society, right? A society can be judged on how well it takes care of the most vulnerable, vulnerable in its population, right? And the Republicans are saying they're going to come after entitlements to give another tax cut to the rich to extend Trump's tax cut, you know, which was a boon for the wealthy one percenters, but was paid for on the backs of hardworking Americans, and now they want to come for the rest of it. You know, and they're going to do it and because they, they know their constituency will be too sort of like ginned up on racism and hate to know a difference and they won't have any power to do anything about it anyway. You know, and Trump will show up at a rally and, you know, make fun of somebody on the left and they'll all cheer and then they'll go home and they'll get sick and then they'll go to the hospital and realize they're no longer insured and they'll die, you know, and then their kids will become workers in some, you know, dollar an hour, low minimum wage, horrible, you know, thing that's owned by a, you know, store or fast food joint or something that's owned by some CEO who's purchasing his next mega yacht and living down in, you know, Fort Lauderdale or Palm Beach, not paying income tax, right? That's the deal. That's what you're being presented on the right. You know, you're being sold it by fear of the other and immigration and the urban cities and all the liberals want to make your kids into, you know, transgender youth, you know, all these like, you know, red meat scare tactic tactics that they aim at sort of bigoted, unsophisticated, ignorant people that live in an ecosphere that reinforces their own, you know, character defects, right? They think they're the good guys. That's what you really have to understand is that they're taught to respect law enforcement and vets and all that kind of thing that was honorable when the institutions were honorable, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But when you have corrupt sort of officialdom in service to an authoritarian, authoritarian, it becomes very dangerous, you know? And when they use mob brutality and a lack of empathy to reinforce political points, it becomes something that this country hasn't seen, at least since the Civil War, you know, and we'll get into that because I went to Gettysburg on this trip too, right? Further down into Pennsylvania. But let me, let me talk about the economic stuff first because that might be a story that the Democrats aren't great at telling, right? People are still hurting. That's a given. We get that. Gas is expensive. Inflation is up. It's a global situation. We're not even doing that bad when you look at the rest of the world. Like, it's no picnic, but, you know, we have lower inflation than the Netherlands right now, and our dollar is still strong. So compared to our cousins in the UK, you know, we're, we're set for the winter, and they're screwed, right? But it still hurts, you know? You don't care about the gains of the Biden administration if, if you're still struggling to buy a can of soup. But you also have to think about two years ago, you might have been in line to get that can of soup at a food bank because everything was shut down, you know, under Trump's grifting of the economy, of him pouring everything into his family's coffers and offering PPP loans to Republicans that they didn't have to pay back, you know, to pay for a tax cut that was like $3 trillion to the wealthiest among us. And that's paid for by the working and middle class. And that's what they're going to come for next time. They're going to come for your Social Security. They're going to come for your Medicaid. They're voting against the student debt relief, right? Right, And that's a great example. That doesn't go to somebody who makes more than $125,000, right? It, it's, it's, it has a safety feature built in so it doesn't get, you know, exploited. And it's not just giving away money to people who don't deserve it. It's giving away money to people who need it. You know, like myself, somebody who's paid his student loans for since 1996, and I've only paid the interest. So if I'm eligible, the 10 grand they'll take off will be the interest that just has accumulated, and I'll owe the principal. You know, that's how it's going to work out for me if I get it. If not, I'll be paying that interest for the rest of my life, you know, and, and that's the system that was set up. I've always said it, you know, it costs a lot of money to be poor in this country, which is one of the things that pisses me off the most. You know, when you're wealthy, you get all the breaks, you get all the free stuff, you get the low interest loans and mortgages. You know, when you're poor, you get payday loans, right? You get higher interest rates, you get credit cards that are charging you 20%. You get all these hidden fees, 
right? They punish the poor because big banks do it, big corporations do it, and Republicans sign off on this legislation all the time. Exploitative, predatory lending, right? That's a very human issue, and that's the way we have to explain it to people. And Biden's hip enough to see that. You know, he's doing this stuff. He created 10 million jobs in the two years since our economy was shut down. You had 1.9 million jobs created during Bush's two terms and Trump's terms, right? So think about that. You know, 12 years of Republicanism gave you less than 2 million jobs. Two years of Democrats gave you 10 million jobs, right? And numbers surging up in terms of unemployment. We have record health care in this country. There's never been less people without health care than there are at this given moment. And that's an important thing now that we're facing global pandemics, right? And a new bug that's coming out of the window, you know, <laughs> coming out of the woodwork every two seconds, right? So these are, these are serious issues that we have to do a better job of explaining to people because they're coming for that. You know, they're going to come for the health insurance. They're going to roll back this stuff. Biden's allowing Medicare to negotiate drug prices, right, to keep these prices affordable. They're going to repeal that. They've said they're going to do that. The GOP is because they're in bed with the pharmaceutical industry. They're in bed with the petrochemical industry. And it's not to say there isn't money from those industries on the Democratic side of things, because there are, right? But there's policy issues, right, that all the Republicans have voted against that directly benefit the American people. You know, that's what the Inflation Reduction Act was. That's what the American Rescue Plan was. And these things have real-world consequences. All things considered, things are not that bad right now. And no one's saying shut up and accept it as it is. We're saying we got to roll up our sleeves and continue to do this work, or we're going to just go off a Republican cliff where the wealthiest 1% make all the money and everybody else is screwed with no entitlements, you know, with no protections in their old age. You know, and I paid into Social Security. My first job was the IGA in Putnam Valley, New York in probably 1985 or 86. You know, every paycheck I've gotten, they took out Social Security. I want mine when I go to collect it in another 10 or 15 years, you know, and you should want yours and I want you to have yours. <laughs> you know, I think that's the fundamental difference between Republicans and, and you know, and Democrats is that you sort of, we, we, we want the other guy to do okay. You know, we don't want to harden our hearts to being empathetic towards our fellow man, where the whole Republican Party is now not only designed to, you know, protect a criminal at the top, like a pyramid scheme, it's designed to make all the people that are helping hide that guy's crimes and continue to grift money, harden their hearts and turn on their fellow Americans, right? Empathy is seen as weakness. That's why they always react, not just with rancor, but with like frat boy snarkiness, right? We saw what happened over the weekend, Nancy Pelosi's husband was attacked, you know, violently in his home right? And they instantly made jokes about it. The GOP instantly started making fun of him. And worse, they, you know, they, they started a homophobic rumor that he somehow deserved it and was drunk, you know, and it was his lover or some kind of horrific thing. And that, of course, was repeated by Elon Musk, who I'll get to. I know he bought Twitter and I know it's a hellscape and I was warning you all about that. And we're here now. And that's, by the way, no accident. That's the march towards authoritarianism, right? You had Bolsonaro's election. Thankfully, he lost. Netanyahu's coming back to power in Israel. Elon Musk gets Twitter a week before the midterms. It's all working in concert to take away your rights, right? Because there's a lot of big interest and dark money in the world that would do a lot better in an autocracy you know, or a kleptocracy, more like it, then they will in a democracy because people don't want to, you know, Democrats don't want to automatically give huge tax breaks. We want to make people pay their fair share, right? So that's what this battle is about. And you saw how they reacted. You know, they got all their bots and troll buddies to question instantly what happened, you know, and they, they you know, They've demonized Nancy Pelosi forever. This is nothing new, right? She was enemy number one 10 years ago to the Republicans. You know, all of their campaign ads are always fire Pelosi, shoot at Pelosi, 
You know, there's guys who've posed with guns and mentioned Pelosi's name. So it's a thing, right? The Tea Party has funded that. The Federalist Society has funded that. The Koch brothers have funded that, you know. And you look at her like she's, I was on a, uh, a Zoom call with her on Wednesday. Not that I'm so important, but I'm in looped in with some of these guys now. And she has a weekly call with her uh, volunteers and stuff. And I was privy to that, so I logged into this call. You know, and, and she's such a caring person. She's such a sort of competent politician. You, you saw that at home when you watched the video of how she reacted on January 6th, right? She reached across the aisle. She called to make sure Mike Pence was okay. You know, she took action. She figured out what the statement was going to be. She figured out how we were going to keep, you know, the mechanics of government operating, how we were going to get back on the floor and count the votes. You know, and she ate a Slim Jim in the middle of it. So she practiced self-care at the same time. Talk about calm, cool, and collected. Talk about leadership and grace under pressure. That is what scared the Republicans, and that is why they demonize her, because she's effective, right? She got the ACA past, you know, Obamacare, like that is their worst nightmare because that sucked for health insurance companies that wanted to keep ripping people off. <laughs> you know, they did not want that and they fund the Republicans. So they were like, you have to stop this legislation. And they couldn't because Nancy Pelosi is such an effective politician, right? So they made her enemy number one, you know, because of those attributes and their attributes that they don't possess on the other side. Right. There was no Republicans to be found when that was going down. You had the one guy rocking on his heels, all scared, who was in the background of that. I don't even remember his name. Who cares? But none of them. They were missing or they were cackling, you know, on the floor like Steve Scalise and MTG because they were part of it. And it was their plan coming to effect. And they thought their godhead was going to march into there with flames behind them and claim the mantle of king of all the United States, right? They were waiting for Trump. They were psyched. And it didn't work out that way because Trump's goons didn't get to murder the vice president or Nancy Pelosi or AOC, and he didn't get to call in the National Guard and declare martial law, which is what he wanted to do, right? So they still deny that it was even an insurrection or a riot, even though we know it was, right? We know that for a fact. We know he knew they were armed. We know that Ginny Thomas texted Mark Meadows 29 times in the lead up to it saying, do not, you know, accept the election results, overturn the election results, right? So we know it was a full court press. We know he had a war room with Roger Stone and Bernie Carrick, you know, and Giuliani and all these other scumbags, criminals, the lowest common denominator, you know, the, 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 the foam that gathers around a urinal cake. You know, that's the equivalent of who these guys were. So there's no grace under pressure. Trump was nowhere to be found, you know, when, when the Capitol was being attacked. He was watching TV and throwing ketchup bottles up against the wall and screaming at his aides and shitting his depends, right? That's who he is. He's not a leader. Nancy Pelosi was calm, cool, and collected and getting stuff done. And we won that battle, but they haven't ceded the war. And this is the next big battle in that war. And they're using a lack of humanity. They're exploiting the worst characteristics of the American psyche. And by American psyche, I mainly mean mediocre white guys who sit around watching Fox News and driving big pickup trucks and reading guns and ammo magazines and thinking a Mexican guy is coming to take their job, which is not happening. And if you go to their job sites, most of these guys are the you know, contractors and the bosses and they got shiny new pickup trucks and all the guys that are doing the works work are immigrants, right? So they're benefiting as much as anybody from this economic situation that's exploitative at best, but at least you should let the people come and get an honest shot at working their way through that. But do they respect it? No, because they're told not to respect it. They're told to hate and resent instead. And that's a lot of what I saw in Pennsylvania. I saw a lot of building going on. I saw a lot of new job sites. You know, I saw the results of these Biden policies, you know, which are part of an equitable recovery, right? All these funds, as I said last week, they're earmarked. You have to hire a certain amount of, you know, who you wouldn't normally hire for these jobs. 
of minorities and overlooked demographics and let them be part of this recovery too. Don't just hand it out to your buddies like the Republicans do. I saw a lot of that, right? But the quandary is on those shiny new pickup trucks that I saw outside of these job sites that are clearly part of an economic recovery, I saw come and take it and stickers, you know, with the AR-15 on the back of the, the truck, right? So the cultural issues are still working to blind these people from the realities of what a democratic administration is doing for them. And they're about to fall for hucksters again, potentially, right? You think Dr. Oz cares about Pennsylvania? You know what I mean? Have you ever seen his house on the Palisades? The Palisades are directly across the river from New York City in Jersey, right? He's got a major mansion there. He's got a huge house in Palm Beach. His wife's a billionaire. He's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. He could care less about the folks in Lettuce, Pennsylvania, right? He's not spending time there, right? But he's got his lawn signs on every goddamn acre of central Pennsylvania. I mean, it was ridiculous. How many Mastriano and Dr. Oz signs I saw on this trip was chilling. You know, Mastriano is a full-on anti-Semitic kook. He was there on January 6th. You know, he attacked the Capitol. He was trespassing on government property where he had no place to be. And he's got signs and sympathy all over Pennsylvania right now. You know, I saw all these gun stores saying, congrats, Doug Mastriano. They had digital signs and they already had that displayed on them, right? So they're already setting the stage of like, they cheated, you know, they stole the election, like Carrie Lake is already doing in Arizona, right? So they've already sort of taken not what worked, but the blueprint for the insurrection that like, let's face it, they basically got away with, right? Trump's going to be at five rallies in like four states over the weekend when he should be in a supermax prison. Right. He should be in solitary confinement in a jail cell with a leather mask across his face. If you knew half the shit the guy did before he was president, you would know that that's where he needs to be. Right. But he's not. He's on the campaign trail and he's going to lie and he's going to say they've stolen the election. Right. Even before it happens, like he did in 2020. And people buy it. The bullies buy it. The dudes who hang out in gun shops buy it, you know. And there's a lot of those dudes in Pennsylvania. There's a lot of racist white people in Pennsylvania. No diss on Pennsylvanians, but there are in New York, where I live in the Hudson Valley too. It's like I talk about every week. It's a cultural issue. And a big part of our country has been brainwashed. They've been poisoned, you know? And I don't even know ultimately if it's their fault, right? If you're fed junk food your whole life and you end up getting cancer, is it your fault? You know, or is it what your society fed you? Was it all you could afford, right? There's a poverty of spirit in this country. There's a poverty of the soul. And that's what we have to address. And that's why the Republicans go so hard against anti-empathy, right? They don't want you being sensitive. They don't want people to say, hey, it's gone too far. They broke into the guy's house. Like, isn't that what all the gun nuts fear? Isn't that what every commercial is about? You need to get it Glock nine millimeter and a couple AR-15s in case them liberals come up from the cities and break into your house, right? Trump ran on that in Pennsylvania. He said, if I don't win, the suburbs are dead or on fire or whatever his term was. He was basically saying, blacks, we're going to come into your suburbs if you don't elect me. You know, he said it in relation to Cory, Cory Booker, who's a great senator who I've worked with. I've told you about that. I did shows with him in New York on Sandy. Wonderful guy, you know? But that was his message, right? They're going to come break into your houses if you don't elect me. That's the NRA message. If you don't get a gun and arm up, you can't protect yourself and your family. So here's a guy who has a home invasion at 1 in the morning or 2 in the morning or wherever, middle of night, worst nightmare for anybody, and they have no sympathy. Suddenly the law and order people don't care, and they want to come up with excuses. They want to mock it. They want to make fun of it right? Because they don't want people getting hip to it and saying, hey, you know what? That is wrong. We've gone too far. That's not who we are. We're supposed to vote at the ballot box, not with a fucking hammer in the middle of the night, right? But that's what thugs want. That's what 
a, you know, authoritarian wannabe dictators like Donald Trump want and all the sycophants that saw it was a winning formula. So these psychotic, blow-dried bitches like Carrie Lake are now running for governor on complete xenophobia, complete racism, complete lunacy, and fealty to Donald Trump, a criminal who wanted to have sex with his own daughter most of his adult life and picked out other teenage girls who looked like her and victimized them, because I know some of them, right? So in deference to a scumbag, they want to throw away democracy to protect the status quo, to protect the ability of corrupt white folks, essentially, to keep stealing and grifting and throwing you red meat, which is racism and poison, but you're going to eat it up anyway because you're going to think the other side is your enemy. And it's not. You know, a house divided cannot stand, right? Like something's got to give either way. That's what Lincoln was talking about, you know, in the Civil War, right? We're, going, we're either going to go one way or the other, but it's not going to stay like this with us, us both divided over the incredible, you know, humanitarian catastrophe and sin of enslaving other human beings to do your work and continue to profit, right? The southern part of this country was like, hey, we want to keep things as they are. <laughs> it's like, I like making money and not doing any work and abusing other humans. I'm a sadist at heart and this feels good. I'm a racist. I want to stay that way, you know? And then half the country was like, appealing to their better angels and you know it's not like they didn't have slaves up in new york and connecticut and all these other places too you know it's all of our shame but when we came to an inflection point lincoln said something's got to give right because we can't go on this way retaining the same character and the same ideals of trying to craft a better nation and a democracy where you have a shot at you know having a decent life even if you weren't the son of a king you know or a baron or a lord and, and trump's basically the opposite of that they're like he's like my family is god we make the decisions you shut up show up to my rallies and send me five bucks every 10 minutes keep your mouth shut i need lawyers <laughs> right we're at the same inflection point right because most of the country you know the, the blue states and the cities on the coast are like hey this is nuts we don't hate immigrants, you know? We don't hate the FBI. We don't hate law enforcement like the right wing does if they don't do what we say. We want law and order. We want a rule of law. We don't want a nation who, who bends its institutions to serve one man's ego. We don't want that for our, for our future. And then, you know, a third of the country or whatever the numbers are, enough to get 74 million people to vote for Trump after he boggled the pandemic, which led to a million people dying, you know, maybe 490,000 died while he was still in office, but his inability to deal with it effectively, like say they did in New Zealand, you know, led to a catastrophe. And even after that, even after the cowardice he explained, displayed, hiding in the White House bunker, attacking protesters, asking his generals to shoot him in the kneecaps, right? His little march across Lafayette Square and holding up a Bible. Even after, you know, pick your poison, telling people to drink bleach. It goes on and on, right? Two impeachments, <laughs> like you name it. Even after that, 74 million people are like, yeah, that's my dude. He hates who I hate and he tells me it's okay to hate. And that feels so good that I don't care if this place burns to the ground. I'm not willing to give that up. That's what's going on. It's a cultural thing. That's why they're waving flags. That's why they have stickers and tattoos and they show up at rallies every weekend. You know, it's like deadheads, but idiots, <laughs> you know? That's what this is about. A third of this country is like, I want more of that. That's who I am now. I'm MAGA, you know? And that's not healthy. That's not right. Not because it's not my political view, because it's a cult. It's in service to one guy who doesn't deserve it. And he's got a stranglehold on the psyche of these men and women. You know, and we're at an inflection point, And this election is one of those tipping points where we're going to have to decide. Because if they take back the House and the Senate, you know, you don't need me to go through the laundry list of what's going to happen. But basically, your government is going to grind to a halt. 
right? Because January 4th or whenever they come back in session, Marjorie Taylor Greene is going to walk in there and say, today I'm opening an impeachment inquiry, you know, or whatever the hell, you know, against Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. And that's all you're going to hear about. You're going to have Jim Jordan and all these little clowns grandstanding on the floor of the Senate, stopping progress, stopping things from being done, stopping dealing with those issues that we're talking about, recovering from one of the most tumultuous periods in American history. You know, it's all going to go away. Nobody learns when there's chaos, right? And the GOP are like class clowns. They're disrupting our civic life to the point that nobody can get anything done because everybody has a headache, right? And that's why you got Elon Musk getting in the last week of Twitter, which is basically how a lot of the journalistic sort of blue check, you know, intelligentsia communicates, right? If you want to find out what's going on in the news cycle, that's a good place to go, right? And he wants to disturb all that. He wants to get all the blue checks and the liberal accounts off of there, you know? And it's become unbearable as somebody who's on there in that capacity, you know, to some extent. I don't care about followers, right? But I've lost 6,000 followers in the last few days. You know, I've had warning signs placed on all my tweets. When I tweet out this podcast and do the Podbean link, it now has a message that says, this is a harmful website. You know, if you even want to like my tweet about this podcast, it'll say, you sure you want to like this? This is malicious, <laughs> you know? And it's not malicious. And I've been tweeting this out for a year and a half. Here's episode whatever of the Noel Kassler podcast. Now that comes with a warning. Right. Because Elon Musk doesn't want progressive thoughts spreading around Twitter. He wants trolls and idiots and crypto bots, you know, and the kind of dumbass bros that are sitting in mom's basement thinking it's fun, you know, to pull the wings off of butterflies, which is essentially what the GOP is. It's a party of the kind of guys that would stomp on a flower because they saw somebody else enjoying it. And love doesn't look good to them because they don't understand it because they're so disconnected from their own humanity, right? That's what happens when you get involved in a codependent relationship, and that's what the GOP is in. They're in a codependent, dysfunctional relationship with a narcissist, you know, with Donald Trump, a criminal, psychopathic narcissist, and he spawned others, right? Because the others came and said, I can do that, I'm an asshole too, right? So you get your DeSantis's. You get your Carrie Lakes, you get your Christy Gnomes, you know, the list goes on. You know, and they're all mediocre. None of them have any skill for politics. It would be one thing if these guys were charismatic. Trump is probably the most charismatic of them, you know, and he's a freak. Like, he's a buffoon that we would laugh at in New York City. We would laugh at him on Celebrity Apprentice. When he walked into the room, you know, he would come to the after parties and he would wait till everybody got in there. I've told this story before, but like... He wanted all the celebrities to turn and look at him when he walked in the room. And the celebrities were like Tom Green, you know, and like Jesse James, you know, or, or, you know, just like Herschel Walker, who was on the show, you know, just like B-list people. And uh, he'd wait out in the hallway till they all got in the room. And then he'd walk in with all these security guards around him like he was already president. And we would laugh. We'd be like, we just saw you across the hall when we taped the episode a half an hour ago like nobody's impressed by you dude but he was so hungry for adulation right he used the world to fill that hole inside of himself and that's a dangerous thing in a leader you know especially combined with active addiction which he has you know from his stimulant addiction and his benzodiazepine habit so you know, he has all the sort of red flags of an unhealthy personality, and that's the last thing you want as a leader. But other people have seen that it worked for him in the GOP, and they're doing the same thing. You know, Ron DeSantis is not a healthy human being. If you read the New Yorker profile on him, all of his friends, his friends basically say there's something wrong with this guy, and he doesn't have any empathy, and he doesn't care about anybody else. It's all about his own power and how he can continue to consolidate that power. And you can make a case that, you know, there's a lot of that in every politician. You know, there's a lot of ego-based stuff, but you basically, you know, your playing field is empathy. It's helping other people. You know, President Barack Obama, former President Barack Obama, you know, he could be aloof. 
He's an intelligent, highly accomplished dude who was not without ego, but his focus was always on the other. And he was using his skills in service of the greater good. You know, Bill Clinton, too, as a communicator, right? These guys knew how to move people towards their better angels on behalf of an equitable, fair country, an opportunity for all. These other guys are just like, how do I get rich and limit your ability to stop me from doing so, right? That's essentially the GOP game plan. That's what DeSantis is perfecting in Florida. He's taken over the public education system, the public university system. You know, he's got what's his name taken over at University of Florida. You know, one of these other ineffectual GOP syncophants. I can't think of his name. You can put it in the chat. By the way, thanks guys who put the stuff in the chat. Every week I make a mistake. Last week I said the EpiPen was for epilepsy. Obviously, <laughs> I know that's not the case. This is off the top of my head. There's no notes and uh, I make mistakes. The week before that, I gave George Harrison credit for a John Lennon song and I'll get kicked out of the Beatles fan club for that one. But uh, you get my point all the time, I hope. And I, this is a, this is like a uh, a relationship, a conversation. I need you listeners to 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 fill in some of the blanks and correct me and fact check me. And I always appreciate it. So don't hesitate to do that. And uh, you know, while I'm on that note, thanks for all the support. I launched the Substack about a week and a half ago, and so many of you guys have signed up, and so many of you guys got you know, subscriptions, it means the world to me and it, it makes this a lot easier to do. So I look forward to continuing on this path. So thanks for being on that ride with me. Now back to it. Ron DeSantis is using the same playbook, right? He's limiting the power of the constituency to be effective in a democracy. That's what authoritarians and quote unquote strong men do. They get into power and they make sure they know how to stay there. They surround themselves with other corrupt and venal men that will allow them, you know, to stay dictators, right? That's what Putin did, right? That's the whole oligarch system, which was basically the blueprint for Trump's administration, right? That's why Jared reached out to Moscow as soon as they got elected. They'd already been trying to build a tower there. That's why Michael Cohn went to prison for lying about it. You know, he said they only discussed it three times. They discussed it 12 times. They discussed it after January of 16. Michael Cohn got busted on that and went to prison, right? But they were trying to do a business deal that was gonna benefit Donald Trump while also running for office. You know, that's a big no-no if you're not <laughs> disclosing that to people, right? But that's the deal, right? You know, he sort of got away with it. He got to become president. Nobody really held him to account when he was president because he had so corrupted the institutions of government, right? He was about to get in trouble, so he fired Jeff Sessions, right? And then you had Bill Barr being like, pick me, pick me. I know how to do this. Bill Barr helped him get away with all that. Bill Barr made Jeffrey Epstein go away, somebody who really would have been a thorn in the side of Donald Trump because that was Trump's boy. That was Trump's wingman, okay? So that's what these guys do. They get to power and then they, they get into power and they make sure they don't have to leave and nobody can really hold them accountable. And that's where we're at. You know, do you want dictators? Do you want a lot of little mini fiefdoms around this country that are letting their people suffer, right? Because you look at it. Look at Mississippi. Look at Arizona. You know, look at Michigan. It's full of, you know, militants that are trying to kill the governor, kidnap her and kill her. They're trying to intimidate the American electorate, right? They're trying to scare people off from voting, from exercising their rights. We see what they're doing in Arizona. These guys are showing up in tactical gear and masks at ballot drop boxes, you know? Trying to scare people away from stopping them. You know, and a lot of people, hopefully not, but a lot of people will get scared away because they'll be like, what do I need this shit for? You know, I'm making 12 bucks an hour, you know, at the dress barn or whatever. I don't need some fucking MAGA guy sticking a gun in my face, you know, to vote for a bunch of candidates I never heard of anyway. You know, that, that, that's what they're counting on, you know, and, and that's what we can't let happen. That's what's at stake. You know, it, it's... It's probably never been more important to vote. I know you've heard that last election cycles, and it was certainly true in 2020. We wouldn't be having this conversation right now had Trump won at the, 
you know, at the ballot box. Thankfully, he didn't. Had he won, I'd be doing this from Ireland probably, <laughs> you know, and uh, it'd be a different world, you know. But uh, you probably wouldn't even have an election. And you might not have them, you know. That, that might sound crazy, and you never thought you'd hear somebody say stuff like that, but I'm not the only one saying it. Rachel Maddow said it on Monday night. She said, vote. This might be the last time you really get the chance to do it, you know. They'll have pretend elections. They'll have Putin-type elections, but they are ready of saying, and they're taking actions to not have free and fair elections here. You know, they're making it impossible practically to use absentee ballots. We all know about the gerrymandering, which sends the little phony clowns to Congress, like Dan Crenshaw and all these idiots, you know, Jim Jordan. That guy never would have been elected. He hasn't written a piece of legislation in like 16 years, right? He's there as a troll. He's there as a little like Lenny and Squiggy character, him and Matt Gates, you know, to just snap at the heels of Democrats to run into the skiff when they're doing a hearing on national security, you know, and Trump shaking, shaking down Zelensky, which they did on Capitol Hill a couple years ago. And those guys showed up and ordered a pizza, you know, led by Matt Gates and Steve Scalise, you know, himself, who was a victim of political violence. And it, did that make him a better man? No, it made him cheer it on when the other side was doing it. That's not what you want. Those are not honorable men. None of these men stood up to Donald Trump. You know, in the hours after the attack on the Capitol, they still voted, many of the representatives, not to certify the election results. Do you know what I'm saying? So he has their hooks in them, and those hooks, you know, control the mouthpieces that they are in their home districts. You know, and I get how people don't have the time to sort through all this stuff when you get back to whatever county you live in you know, in the middle of America. But you better figure out a way too or it's going to be too late, you know. You better see through the fear, you know, and economic anxiety that you're trying to, they're trying to sort of gin up in your psyche. Don't vote from a place of fear, right? You know, and obviously I'm, I'm telling you how scary it'll be if they win. So there's, <laughs> I'm not unaware that there isn't a sort of fearful tone in my rhetoric too, but what I'm trying to say is try to try to distinguish what's progress here. You know, what's going to be better for my kids and their kids? You know, a party that cares about the environment, that cares about economic justice, that cares about people having health care, that cares about retirees being comfortable in retirement and not having to work at CVS till they're 90 and drop dead, you know, checking you out. You know, overpaying for some nail polish or something that some petrochemical company that's owned by the Koch brothers is poisoning you with, right? You want that future or you want the guy who's going to say, yeah, I'm king now. You don't get to vote, you know? Here's a gun and a flag, you know, and a pickup truck. And go watch Fox News. Go watch Tucker Carlson or these other guys who are making zillions of dollars, <laughs> you know? Fox News is on 6th Avenue. They're not shooting that stuff in Alabama, folks, you know? You're getting played, just like Dr. Oz. They're playing you. These are con men. And it's gotten so easy, right? Because they're not challenged, you know, in the right way, right? So they get away with it, and they have such a loud megaphone. Right. And that's again, Elon took over Twitter, which was sort of my point before I got on a tangent, as I do. He took over Twitter and it's a battleground. Who knows who's going to be there after the election next week? You know, we're all doing our best to speak out now, but, you know, it's approaching intolerable, you know. And, and so if you haven't followed my Substack, please do. You don't have to pay to be a part of it. It comes right into your email and that'll be how I can keep in touch and you can reply to me there and all kinds of stuff. And I have a website and I got all that other crap too, TikTok and IG. But you know, Twitter was where I spoke all day, right? It was the town square and he's, he's making it impossible to do that. Like we can still tweet, but he's, he's doing his best to sort of silence the progressive you know, element of this country. And that's not a good thing. That's not free speech. That's not a guy who cares about your free speech. That's a guy who's gotten handouts his whole life. And he's that entitled that at this crucial moment in American history, he wants to make it about him and be a troll. That's not a healthy individual. That's a narcissist like Donald Trump, 
like a lot of these other guys. You don't want people with personality disorders in positions of power. And unfortunately, when they get a certain amount of money, they get to do whatever they want, you know? And people can't call them on their bullshit. And that's what the Democrats want to do. And that's what this battle is about. You think Elon Musk wants to pay his fair share of taxes? Of course he doesn't. You think he wants to continue to get handouts, federal handouts from SpaceX? Of course he does. You know, think of all the things he's promised and reneged on. You know, he was going to rescue the miners, you know, the kids in the Thai cave. Never did that. Attack the guy who did, right? He was going to build ventilators in March of 2020. Never did that. Broken promise. He was going to build a tunnel under L.A. It's called a subway, and it's not a good idea. There's already one, right? He was going to build a tunnel from Vegas to L.A. or something, not thinking about earthquakes. Like, he's just full of shit, you know? He... He was one of the founders of PayPal. He's not some genius inventor. He took other people's ideas. You know, he made electric cars sexy for a minute. That was kind of a scam, too. You know, the cars have crappy interiors. They blow up. They lock you inside. You know, there was a time when, like, it, I was touring with bands when those cars came out, and they would bring them backstage and give you, like, a free test ride because they were trying to get, like, rock stars to drive them and shit. And one of the rock stars I worked for bought one and killed a guy, you know, ran into a guy where he lives in California. I don't know if the dude died, but, you know, this wasn't the dude you wanted driving a silent car <laughs> that nobody could hear. Do you know what I'm saying? So his whole thing was sort of manufactured hype from the beginning, right? You got Tesla chargers at every goddamn rest stop in America. We subsidize those, and you can only use them on Tesla cars. How is that somebody who really cares about the environment? right? If you really cared, you'd make it a universal situation. So somebody driving a Chevy Volt could plug into the same thing, not the status branding of Teslas. And obviously that brand has dropped along with their, you know, stock price. You look at a Tesla on the road now and you're like, sucker, you know, or, or troll, <laughs> right? So he's ruined his own company. But the bigger picture is ruining democracy and paving the way to authoritarianism may be the best you know, play he has left. And that should scare the crap out of you. Again, with the fear, right? But I'm just trying to make the point here, you know. Always be suspicious of somebody who's got a lot of money, you know, and, and wants to sort of dominate the airspace, right? Because if you have that much money, you could quietly do so many things, right? Elon Musk could wake up any day of the week and solve childhood poverty in the United States, if not the entire world you know, with the amount of cash he has. You could provide health care. You could pay off everybody's student loans. You could do things that would legitimately move humanity forward, you know, and, and perhaps, you know, spur a sort of cultural humanistic renaissance unlike we've seen in this world, you know, where we all sort of rolled up our sleeves and said, how do we save the planet, you know? Because, you know, we're facing planetary catastrophe with the environment and we can't even barely get to those issues because we're having to put out these civic fires all the time of all the chaos that's happened in our electorate. And that's not by accident. As I say every week, that's the goal. That's what the Koch brothers want. That's what the Federalist Society wants. Right, Because they're trying to keep the status quo in place for big business that is going to suffer when we get serious about protecting the environment, which we should have gotten a long time ago, right? But you got DeSantis and all these guys, you know, DeSantis screwed up the insurance, you know, industry in favor of the industry in Florida. And now people who just had the latest attack, you know, from Hurricane Ian, Right. Because these things are sort of attacks. That's why we should name the hurricanes after oil companies, as I always say. You know, they don't come out of thin air. Yes, we've always had hurricanes, but they haven't been the strength that they have in recent years because the oceans are warming due to climate change, due to carbon fuels being burned constantly. You know, and until we stop that or begin to reduce it in a significant way, the storms are going to get worse and worse. Right. And consumers and poor people, they get it the most. Right. As I said at the top of the show, it's expensive being poor. Rich guy files a claim. He can pay his premiums. You know, insurance company's not going to screw him over. 
He'll get that 17-room house rebuilt. Dr. Oz will get his mansion in Palm Beach rebuilt, you know. But will, you know, will the guy who suffers from flooding, you know, in Pennsylvania or a drought, you know, or a wildfire in California, right? In Paradise, California, where people still haven't rebuilt. And I'm going off on a tangent here, but when they have these climate disasters, you know what happens? Oath keepers come into town, white supremacy groups come into town, and they recruit people. They say, hey, we'll keep it safe here. They hand out food, they open food banks, and then they hand out pamphlets. Would you like to know a little bit more about our militia? They use it as an opportunity to recruit, and that's, that's a 100% fact. You can look into it. I've discussed it before, but that's another way. It, it's almost like vertical integration. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're using all of the animal <laughs> for their product, you know, and their product is not going to benefit you, if that makes any sense, you know. So that's a lot to think about, you know, that, that's a lot of what's at stake. And I haven't touched on abortion, right, which should be almost the only issue, right? A sane nation would be like, oh, those guys want to take away a woman's right to bodily autonomy, and reproductive health care, no chance, right? There should be no other issues, right? As Democrats, we should just be able to point to that, point to the Dobbs decision and say, do you want more of that? And it's barely an issue, right? And that shows you how scary a place we're in, you know, and how much is at stake. You know, vote for your mother and your daughter and your sister. Vote for them to have the same rights that you do if you're a male. Do you know what I'm saying? And it shouldn't even be the other because abortion rights affect males too. Your life is going to change, you know, if you get somebody pregnant. It, you know, it should change, right? So, and I'm not even going to get into the draconian elements of that stuff where, you know, entire states are not, you know, providing abortion care to rape victims and incest victims. I mean, that's just like dark ages stuff. And that's what they want to take us to. They want to take us back to the dark ages. And we don't need to go there. We need to follow the light. We need to appeal to our better angels. We came out of the Civil War and forged a better nation. Did it have equality? Not even close. And we're still not even there. And there's horrific things that happen like the Jim Crow era, you know, and post-Reconstruction America where we we haven't made amends we haven't made that situation right but we're never gonna if we keep voting for the other side do you know what i'm saying that's what's at stake we're at a crucial crucial point in american history you know and i'm not intending this to be a harangue or a lecture i'm just letting you know what's on my mind i know it's been a while since i put one of these out so i gotta tell you i gotta preach i gotta speak but you know, I, I miss you guys. I love all the comments. As I said, I've been on the road. I was down in Virginia. I went to a family wedding in the Shenandoah Valley. It was beautiful. My little cousin Grace got married to her longtime boyfriend, Scott, and we had a really good time. And uh, it was good to see family. It's good to celebrate. It's good to understand that, you know, life is still going on around all of this chaos, you know, and that's what we're fighting to protect. We're protecting those sunny days and those family weddings, you know, and, and the ability to not have to just completely focus on chaos and politics all the time, you know, to focus on life and art and music and coming together and family. I paused there dramatically. I hope you enjoyed that at home. Anyway, uh, so it was fun. And it was fun seeing this country, and I love this country, and I believe in this country, you know. But this country has some work to do, you know. And this country has to become aware further and deeper of what's really at stake and what the motivating factors are behind it, you know. If we don't do that, you know, we're sort of marching off a cliff blindly, you know. We're being pushed off that cliff by people who don't have our best interests at heart. We can't let them win. You know, I'll wrap it up here, but it's like there's more of us than there are of them. 
you know? And if you have a friend and a neighbor or an elderly person that needs a ride to the polls on Tuesday, give them a ride. Help them get out there. Make them a sack lunch. Give them some water, you know? Give them five bucks for the bus if they need it, you know? Whatever it is to, you can do to help, that's what we need to do. It's all hands on deck, you know? It's incumbent upon all of us to participate in our democracy. Get out the vote. Volunteer. You know, check in with your local Democrat who's running for office and saying, what can I do to help? You need somebody to hand out flyers at Wegmans on Saturday? I'm there. Because give up a couple of days because you're going to be giving up a lot more on the other side of this if it doesn't go our way. You know? All right. End of lecture. We lost Jerry Lee Lewis the other day. Jerry Lee Lewis, right? One of the founding fathers of rock and roll, you know? And they called him the killer because a few of his wives died mysteriously, you know, and he was a rich, famous white guy, you know, in the South. So the, the local sheriff didn't really ask why the wife was found floating in the pool, you know. Jerry had tied, tied one on and she didn't make it through the night, which is ridiculous, you know, and horrible. And, and that aura was always around Jerry Lee Lewis, but he was also, you know, an incredible musician who lived an incredible life that it, it one of the one of the more interesting stories in American history and and Rick Bragg wrote a great biography of him that you should read Rick Bragg is one of my favorite authors he wrote all over but the shouting which is a memoir of the south and stuff so if you ever get a chance to read Rick Bragg's book on Jerry Lee it's a good one I almost dropped the Martin that would have sucked but uh I want to tell you my Jerry Lee story so I was uh, doing the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's probably, you know, I don't know when it was, 2014, 15 or something. And Jerry Lee Lewis was coming. And my friend who works at the Rock Hall was like, hey, Noel, can you, uh, can you help with Jerry Lee's arrival? He's going to do the red carpet, but he's not in great health and he might need a wheelchair. So can you be standing by with a wheelchair? And I was like, yeah, no problem. You know, I think I was... I was free in that moment. I'd spent that weekend with the faces, the small faces uh, reunion. But I'm standing there and I see the you know limo pull up with Jerry Lee and they're like, Jerry's arriving. So I roll out there with a, with a wheelchair and I roll right up and they open the door and Jerry Lee gets out, sees me standing there with a wheelchair and he's got a cane and he swings it right at my head and he goes is that fucking thing for me get the fuck out of here with that thing like he was so embarrassed that he was about to you know i don't really blame him he was about to get you know put in a wheelchair on a red carpet in front of about a thousand you know or 200 paparazzi and uh he was just not having it and tried to take my head off you know which was kind of awesome and uh you know, I just turned around and hightailed it out of there. Even at like 80, he was uh, formidable. And, uh, you know, it was Jerry Lee Lewis, you know, swinging at you. It was like Elvis trying to cold cock you or something. And uh, I was at the after party later that night, and I ran into John Silva, who's the manager for Nirvana and Foo Fighters and a bunch of other bands, Beck, all kinds of people, real big music industry guy, very cool guy. And he runs up to me, he's like, no. I saw you get bitch slapped by the killer. That's the most awesome thing ever, man. <laughs> he was just dying laughing, you know? And uh, it was funny. We were like, yeah, man, that, that's a story to tell the grandkids, you know? So rest easy, Jerry Lee. The dude, he was a real one. He lived a hard one. But uh, damn if he couldn't play the piano, you know? And he was famously Jimmy Swaggart's cousin, you know? Very cool story. And, you know, grew up in a shack. You know, a shack in Mississippi or whatever. So, you know, American, you know, American art and culture and products have influenced the world. You know, we're not a perfect union. You know, we're not a people without mistakes and defects, but we've made a difference and we've had a huge impact and we can continue to do that as a nation. Right. We're better together. We're strength. You know, our strength is in our diversity. You know, and we got to come together and start doing that because the world needs us, right? The world needs us to solve problems. The world needs our leadership right now. Fascism is on the rise around the globe, and a lot of, you know, people don't have the same freedoms we have to speak out. You're not, you're not doing a podcast in Iran right now talking shit like I am, <laughs> right? You know, you're not doing that in Russia, 
And we see what people are going through. They're being, you know, their bodies are being broken and they're being tortured for freedoms. All you got to do is show up and vote on Tuesday. You know what I mean? It's not all you got to do is it's minor, but, you know, that's, we're still on that side of the equation. And it's going to be a lot easier to nip it in the bud here at the ballot box than it's going to be to go through what they're going through in other countries, right? So that's it. That's the Noel Kassler podcast, episode 84, I think. I appreciate you guys listening. Check me out on Substack. I got t-shirts on the website, by the way. Noel Kassler podcast t-shirts. You can go on the website and buy one of those. I'll ship it out to you. And, uh, you know, keep the comments coming. Keep up the good work. Vote blue. Share those hashtags on Twitter. I've been doing it a lot in last week. I'm not usually a hashtagger, but anything that gets the word out, help help spread the word, you know, because it's not a level playing field out there in the ecosphere, and we got to uh, let people know a blue wave is coming, right? So that's it. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. I love you. Peace. <laughs>